Father, we thank you that the resurrection life that we celebrated last week continues on a daily basis, and we're alive because of, of you. And I pray, God, that we would just begin to apprehend that life, that, that no matter what fire we're in, no matter what strength we need, no matter where we've come, brokenness, with our brokenness, that we place that in your hands, and you can do incredible things with that. You bring life out of death. You bring health out of brokenness. You bring confidence and faith out of a out of a lack of faith and fear. And I pray today, Lord, that wherever each individual is from this morning, whatever they're carrying, that they'd be able to lay that aside and, and to focus on you, the living God. And that as we do that, you grow in our understanding of how big you are so we understand nothing is beyond your power to to take charge of and we give it to you i pray now lord that you'll take the word of god the living word of god and you'll change our lives in jesus name amen thank you please be seated Once upon a time, there were three little pigs who went out to the big world to build their homes and to seek their fortunes. The first little pig did not like hard work, so he built himself a quick, easy house of straw. The second little pig didn't like to work any more than his brother, so he built a quick, easy house of sticks. The third little pig, however, was smart and did not mind hard work. He spent many days building a stout, strong house made of brick. Soon after the three little pigs finished their houses, out of the woods came the big bad wolf. The big bad wolf went to the first little pig's house and said, open the door and let me in. The first little pig said, not by the hair of your chinny chin chin. The wolf said, then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And with a deep breath, the wolf blew the little pig's straw house all to pieces and sent him scurrying to his brother's house. The big bad wolf, angry that his dinner had escaped, went to the second little pig's house, the one made of sticks. Then he knocked on the door. Who's there? asked the two little pigs. The big bad wolf said, open the door. They said, not by the hair of your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff and puff and blow your house in, said the wolf. And he did, sending the first two little pigs to their brother's house, one made of bricks. The big bad wolf then arrived at the third little pig's house made of stout brick. He knocked. Who's there? asked all three little pigs. He said, open the door and let me in. The three little pigs replied, no way, not by the hair of your chinny chin chin. So the big bad wolf then huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed and he huffed and he puffed, but try as he might, he could not budge the little pig's brick house. Of course, you know the ending. The big bad wolf came down the chimney, landed in a pot of boiling water, and that was the end of the big bad wolf. Remember that story? Children's story that teaches us a lesson. I will do anything I can to help you remember what I preached on. We're starting with that today. Two weeks ago, we talked about agriculture. Agriculture. In the first part of 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote about planting and watering and God causing the growth. 
He was speaking specifically about spiritual growth, and we asked the question, which way are you growing? We looked at indicators of spiritual immaturity and indicators of spiritual maturing. Maturing because spiritual growth is a process that we never complete. Today we move from being God's field to being God's building. From agriculture to architecture. Agriculture to architecture. We're going to look at a picture of a building that Paul gives us, a building process, and it's a lot like the story of the three little pigs. So I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians, third chapter. It's on page 925 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to read verses 10 through 17, actually through 15. By the grace of God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Today we're going to look at God's building program. God's building program. And we start where you need to start with every building, and that's the foundation. The foundation. I love watching building projects, and, and when someone builds a new building, they never start with a roof, they never start with the windows or the doors, they don't start with the walls, they always start with the foundation. The foundation. The builder digs a hole in the ground, pours concrete footings, and pours a foundation. And I've been told that the foundation is the most critical part of every building, the most critical part. If the foundation is solid, the, the building will be solid. If the foundation is true and accurate, the building will be true and accurate. But if you're off even one inch on the foundation, you could be off a foot or even more by the time you get to the roof, depending on the height of the building, of course. The foundation is critical in any building, and it's also very critical in our lives as individuals, and it's very critical in the lives of us as a church. Now, the church is not a literal building. We meet in a building, but it's an organism that functions like a building. And here, Paul describes the church as a building, as a building. And the foundation for the local church includes the foundation for our lives as individuals as well because our lives are inseparable from the local church. Paul writes in verse 10, I lead the foundation as an expert builder. He, he gives God credit for it. He doesn't take credit for doing that. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation. Paul says he was just the instrument or the servant God used to lay this foundation that's there. And I want to first address the reason Paul had to tell them about the right foundation because the Corinthians were trying to lay a faulty foundation. He wanted to start by saying, let's get this foundation right. Otherwise, you, they were going to end up with, with houses of straw and sticks. Let's start, first of all, with the faulty foundation. Faulty foundation. Then, 
They were trying to build the church community and by extension trying to build their lives on faulty foundations. What were these faulty foundations? First of all was human wisdom. Human wisdom. We saw in chapter one how absurd our wisdom can be as Paul writes that the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And, and concentrating on man's wisdom and this whole thing of Christ crucified just did not compute to them. It didn't make sense. Then there was, there was human leadership. Those that said, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, I follow Peter. Um, there was following of human leadership, and that he says that's a faulty foundation. Then there was one major doctrine, and there were different doctrinal emphases that, that these people had, and they said, I want to follow this, this doctrine or that doctrine. Or one spiritual gift. As we see later, as we get further into 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians elevated one spiritual gift in particular as the most important gift. That's what they were doing. What about today? What, what kind of foundations do we build our churches on? What kind of foundations do we build our lives on? They try to, churches today try to build it, first of all, on a personality. And by personality, I mean a, a church built on the personality of its leader. Everything is focused on the pastor or another leader, whoever that is. And some church growth experts, and I, 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 I could not believe this was the case, but several years ago, some church growth experts said that, the, that in order to really grow a church, you have to have the pastor's name bigger than the church sign on the website, on the sign, and all those other things. It was like the, the whole focus was a leader, a person. I believe God raises up and establishes strong leadership, but we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, not a person. We see many leaders fall from time to time, moral failure, other types of things. And one such leader in a television interview said this after he had fallen. He said, I hope people have had their eyes on Jesus Christ, not on me. He said, I'm just a fallible human. It's a tendency in all of us in this, in this celebrity culture. And Paul wrote la last week, he said, what is Apollos? What is Paul? He said, they're only servants. See, there's a, the personality, we concentrate on a personality no matter what it is. It's a faulty foundation. Another faulty foundation would be a singular doctrine, a singular doctrine. A church that is not built on Jesus Christ but on one specific doctrine is on a faulty foundation. That might be the doctrine of end times, a preoccupation with, with prophecy or end times. And there are churches that are really built on that. Some people's lives are built on those kinds of things. Or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the gifts and operation of the gifts. Now, let me just say this. Most churches need to spend more time and have more emphasis on the Holy Spirit, not less. But the Holy Spirit cannot be the center. Jesus is the center. Jesus is to be glorified. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus. Or let's say something like a prosperity doctrine. If you, if you live right, you obey God, God will bless you. If you're healthy and wealthy, you're living right. If you're struggling with your finances or have health problems, there must be sin in your life. How many of you have ever heard that said? Must be sin in your life, yeah. There's a subtle, not so subtle message of works righteousness because basically it means it's up to me then, not up to God. It's an aberration, it's a heresy based on the American way of life, which is consumption. 
A singular doctrine. You can go to different places and there are singular doctrines that dominate a local church. And that's a red flag. If there's one doctrine or one emphasis. Or there's a singular spiritual gift. Let her see. Now we all, we believe, just so you know, we believe that all the spiritual gifts are in operation today. All of them are in operation today. This series is entitled, The Church That Never Was, The Church That Could Be, because it's as if, as if there's never been a balance of spiritual gifts in the church. See, one, one church has teaching as its main emphasis, and everybody who loves teaching and have the gift of teaching attend that church. So that's a teaching church, and so they're known for their teaching. Another church has evangelism as their major emphasis. Nothing wrong. It's great to have evangelism, but that may be all they have, and that's, that's what they focus on all the time is evangelism. One church has discernment or distinguishing of spirits. They, sometimes they're called deliverance temple or because it's mainly focused on deliverance. Another, another church would be just tongues and prophecy, so the main emphasis is tongues and prophecy. Another church, and people don't think of this very often, may have the gift of mercy, and so they, all of their gifts are focused on mercy. So they're ministering to the poor, the down and out, the people on the margins, which ought to be happening. But that's all they do, and they don't have the ability to confront sin because they're so merciful. Everything's about mercy. Now you can take this, this emphasis, whether it's healing or miracles or faith. No balance. See, we cannot build a church on one gift. And when you look at churches... See, every church ought to have every spiritual gift in operation. All of them. Otherwise, you have this, this wheel that's just out of balance instead of a, the balance of all parts of the body. Every spiritual gift. And of course, it should be the one giver of gifts, Jesus Christ, who's at the center, the giver of all the gifts. So, faulty foundation, one gift. And, and we see that emphasis in, in, in many different churches. Then there's legalism, a church founded on external measures of righteousness. Lists of do's, lists of don'ts, and, and rigid systems of behavior. Another faulty foundation that we see would be cultural revel, relevance. Cultural relevance. Now, we ought to be relevant to our culture, but our foundation can't be cultural relevance. It must be Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's a compromised version of Christianity that becomes palatable to everyone. Another faulty foundation would be, be political correctness. Don't offend anyone. Make sure, you know, make sure you preach the gospel and make sure it's always positive. Don't ever say anything negative. Don't talk about sin because that's offensive. That produces a, an accommodation or compromise or lukewarmness and totally irrelevance at the, at the bottom line. Now, all of these faulty foundations that we see, and we, we can name a lot more of those faulty foundations of a church. They're, they're corporate, but they're also personal. They can be applied to the church at large or our personal lives. And the question is, are we building our lives, are we building our church on a faulty foundation or on the true, the true foundation? What is the true foundation? What is the true foundation? Verse 11, Paul says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is a foundation, who, who is Jesus Christ? Who is, who is Jesus Christ? How do we know that we're 
building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Well, who did Jesus say he was? Who did Jesus say he was? John 14, 6, very familiar passage to most of us. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. Three weeks ago, I shared excerpts of a book written by Christian Smith entitled Soul Searching, Religion and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And he observed that, that, that Christian teens and indeed Christian adults in America prefer to talk about God and not Jesus. God. Because God is a less offensive term since just about everyone who believes or is religious has some belief, believes in God or a, a universal spirit of some sort. And, and that's less offensive and politically correct because all faiths and all religions believe, whether it's Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus or whatever it is, they believe in a higher power of some sort or God or whatever. And they're not offended if you, if you invoke the word God. Even, and I was really disturbed, even college professors at the Christian University where our daughters graduated always used the name God. They prayed in God's name, in our Lord's name, in his name. Rarely, if ever, did I hear come out of those Christian professors' mouth the name Jesus. Jesus. Let me just say something. You may say in the Lord's name, whatever. Pray in Jesus' name, would you? It's Jesus' name. Jesus is a foundation. And, and using a non-offensive term offends God because it's Jesus. People hesitate using the name of Jesus. Why? Because when we speak of believing in Jesus and following Jesus, praying in Jesus' name, we must subscribe to what Jesus said about himself, and Jesus said, I am the only way. I'm the only way. I'm the only way. One way is right, all others are wrong. Earlier we talked about two roads and, and two groups. The Bible tells us there are only two destinations. Now, now, there are a lot of ways, a lot of roads you can take from here to get to the Oakwood Mall, okay? If you think about that, you can say, I, I can do this, I can go to that street, I can go here, I can go this street, I can go back roads. There are, there are many, many different roads to the Oakwood Mall. Many roads. And many people compare heaven to the Oakwood Mall. Or to hell if you hate to shop, but that's a different story. Many roads leading to the same destination. That is not biblical Christianity. Jesus said there are two roads, only two. There are two destinations. There are two groups. There's those who are perishing, those who are being saved. It's not politically correct, but it is correct. It's true. And we must have as our foundation that Jesus Christ is the foundation, and Jesus Christ is the only way. That's not arrogance. It's taking Jesus at his word. Now, you can tell people in the context of earned trust and relationship, and we ought to do that. Then they know your heart, they know your motives, and we have to earn that kind of relationship so that we can tell them the hard truths and the hope that we have for life. Jesus Christ is the way. Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus Christ is the life, and no one comes to the Father except 
through Jesus. And if you don't believe that, don't, don't call yourself a biblical Christian because you're practicing syncretistic spirituality. Jesus is the foundation. Don't condemn, don't condescend to people that believe others. Unlike us, one of the, one of the things that is, is so prevalent in our community today, in America today, is if you disagree, it, it's, it's awful and you're condemning somebody. No. We can disagree, and we can still be friends, we can be family, we can be whatever. But you may disagree and, and do it agreeably. America is a free country. People can believe whatever they want. But don't say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, if you don't take everything that Jesus said, especially that he's the way, the truth, and the life. If we're off on this foundation, this is foundation. If we're off on this foundation, our whole structure will be a disaster. That's where we start. And Paul said, the foundation is Jesus Christ. So let's move on to building materials. You got real quiet in here, I know. Building materials, and verse 12 says, if any man builds on this foundation, man is a generic term, meaning any person, and the emphasis here is on individual responsibility. Each of us is building on the foundation that we have with something, something. It includes our individual life and it includes our corporate life as, as a church. And in God's eyes, those are inseparable. One cannot separate body parts from the body and remain healthy. You can't separate building parts from a building and have it stand properly. And one of the main reasons the American church today is in such sad shape is that it has body parts wandering all over the place. There are parts of the church that are just body parts wandering from body to body or they're not connected at all. Some surveys show that up to 50% of Christians in many parts of our country are unchurched. Christians, that means that they're disconnected, they're disparate body parts wandering around. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that. Some people have been hurt badly by the church. Or they've been hurt badly by another believer or, or someone in the church. Maybe they had a bad experience. Maybe they suffered rejection or condemnation. There are a lot of reasons people are not at church. They're unchurched. Also, they may have just grown cold or lost interest and wandered away. And one of our daily prayers here is that God would bring to Eau Claire Wesleyan Church unchurched Christians who can reconnect. And maybe that's you today. I don't know. Unchurched Christians that need a place to connect. See, there's no real spiritual life apart from the body, the church. And we need to quit pretending that it's okay to practice our, our faith as an isolated lung or kidney or an arm or a toe. Churches have missing body parts. Churches have missing building parts. Now, our physical bodies can survive without some body parts. You can miss an arm or a leg, an appendix or gallbladder, or maybe one kidney, but it's not gonna be as healthy or strong. Which means everyone is important. Everyone is needed. It's not just a guilt trip to say, man, you better connect. It's like you are needed. You are needed. Picture taking one of these laminated beams out of the sanctuary, 
Let's take that one out. Okay. Now, would the building stand? Yeah, probably. Kent, would it stand? <laughs> no, he says no. Okay. You could, you could take parts. You could take a little bit of this. Little, you can take parts out of a building, and it might just it'd probably sag. might fall down, whatever. But it's not solid. It's not healthy. We have an individual responsibility to connect and be connected to the body. Now let's look at building materials. Building materials. Building materials are contrasted just like the story of the three little pigs. Straw, sticks, and brick, okay? There's a contrast that he draws between durable and perishable, between precious and worthless, and useful and useless. There's a contrast between gold, silver, and costly stones on one hand, and wood, hay, and straw on the other. There is a difference. There's a difference. And we can build houses out of wood, hay, and straw, just like we can build our lives out of useless materials. What materials do we build our lives on? What do we build our lives with? Let's look at personal priorities. Personal priorities. What do we place first as most important? Are we pouring our lives into and investing in things that last, that are valuable in the long run? Just stop and thinking about, what, do I, what are my priorities? What are my priorities? Biblical priorities. Number one, our best priority top should be relationship with God. Our relationship with God through Jesus. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your mind. See, that relationship lasts forever. That is a focus. That when we looked at God's top ten, that was love God first, have no other gods before me. This is it. This is it. Then there's relationship with spouse or family. Family, spouse, relationships. When we marry, we become one with our wife or husband. And the Bible says we're not, no longer two. We're we're one. Children are a fruit of that relationship. Love God first and then love family. These are costly and precious building materials. And lives lived with these first two priorities will do well. To be a good steward and care for our families, our third priority, maybe number three, job or career. Job or career. Now, don't put job or career ahead of God and don't put job or career ahead of family. People who've done so have, have come to ruin. I know, I know men who've sacrificed their family for their career. I know people have turned their back on God to follow some kind of career and opportunity. And then number four, ministry. Ministry. Say, I'm not a minister, you say. How many of you would say, oh, I I'm not going to ask a question. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Most people say, oh, well, I'm not a minister. That's you. No, no, we're all ministers. Say, we're all ministers. How come I don't get paid for it? Yeah, I know, that's the question. We're all ministers. My job is to help you discover your ministry and equip you to use your giftings to minister. Ephesians 4, this is a very important passage, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That's a healthy body. Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, don't confuse ministry with your relationship with God. There's relating to God and there's serving God. 
Okay? There's the personal relationship and there's the ministry relationship. And don't put your ministry ahead of family. It's a mistake I, I see once in a while in the church and I see it a lot with pastors. Pastors make the mistake of putting the ministry ahead of their family or ahead of their relationship with God even. And I can say, I love you all, but you are not more important than my family. Just so you know, just saying. And I, nobody else should be more important than your family. God, family, ministry, ministry. Well, our lives consist of building materials. How valuable are your building materials? What do you put first? Who do you put first? Is it, is it recreation or family? Is it television or children? Is it football or your wife? I know Packer season, that's a hard thing. But is it ministry or play? Is it video games or reading the word? Is it job or family? Each of us are building our lives with something. What are you doing with yours? Is our life characterized by mediocrity or is it characterized by excellence? This is something, this is something that I, I really take seriously. When I, was, when I was in high school, I was a trumpet player. I was a musician. Very passionate, and I used to practice my trumpet for hours. I rehearsed with two bands and a jazz ensemble, an orchestra, and a brass quartet. And I worked very, very hard. I did the best I could. And the focus was excellence. It was excellence. And I began to notice a contrast between school and church. School and church. If preparing something for church, uh, anything will do is just for church. That really, really disturbed me. The attitude was, if it's for God, anything is good enough. Mediocrity, not excellence. And I said, I am not going to embrace that. Whatever I do for God in church or wherever, it's going to be excellence. See, God deserves our gold, silver, and costly stones, not our wood, hay, and straw. What are we building our ministries out of? Are we content to just get by or follow the path of least resistance? Time doesn't permit us to look at all the building materials we have and use for our life. But this church, the organism, is God's building. Is, are we practicing worthly, wor worthy pursuits or worthless pursuits? Time to just kind of take a look at that. Well, let's look at the future testing of building materials. Future testing. Future testing. In verses 13 to 15, it says, His work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Someday, our work will be shown for what it is. In other words, the day of judgment is coming. The big bad wolf is going to come and huff and puff and try to blow your house down. And that day will test the quality of our building materials. Every building once constructed will be tested by certain things. First one is time. Time. Is my life, do my building materials stand the test of time? Will it last over the long haul? We're also tested by pressure. Can our building stand up to pressure? Or opposition, winds that come, hurricane winds. We've seen hurricanes, tornadoes, we've seen a lot of those kinds of disasters this last year. And you see some buildings that just stay there, other ones are 
they're gone. Just like that. Pressure. How about shaking? Earthquakes causes buildings to, to collapse. Will our lives stand in unstable, shaking times? I don't know anybody that's gone through life without shaking times. We all experience adversity and different things. Do we have our lives built on that foundation of Jesus Christ and our building materials solid? Solid. Then tested by fire. Can our life building materials take the heat? Fire, and he says this, fire will burn up the useless stuff in our lives. And whatever we left with is what doesn't burn up. That's what's valuable. Valuable. So what's left? What's left? Number four, it's rewards of grace. Grace. Even though a person built their whole life of worthless materials, if the foundation was Jesus Christ, that person will be saved. Okay? Even if a person builds their entire life in worthless things, if their faith is in Jesus Christ, their life will be saved. Just through the fire. And one commentator says the distinction is not between those who are lost and saved, but among the saved, between those who have built well and those who have built poorly. Those who have built poorly will lose their reward. See, we're saved by grace. We're rewarded by, according to what we've done. We don't earn our salvation. We're saved by grace, but we're rewarded according to what we've done. By what materials we've built with, valuable or worthless, durable or perishable, useful or useless. If you have built with the good stuff, that is the stuff you will have left. It will last forever. Someday, the big bad wolf will come knocking on your door. And he'll huff, and he'll puff, and he'll huff, and he'll puff. What will happen to your house? Build well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us very practical illustration based on buildings and, and understanding the body of, of, of what we're part of. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts about what we're building our lives with. And, Father, that we would, by your grace, build well so that no matter what comes against us, no matter what we experience, what is built will stand firm in this world. Thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we? As we're dismissed, uh, Greg and Lynn will be available here too for prayer. Uh, if you need prayer, something for yourself or, or uh, someone else, we just want to make sure that uh, we have prayer available to everybody. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless.